Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott and Melissa Hale. You know, really angry God losing his temperature, t- temperature, temper, <laughs> and, and like throwing lightning bolts and stuff down like that. This is a God who wants to give a sign. So why are they called signs? That means that these acts point to the one true God. They point to something. And they're called wonders because these actions reveal to everyone who God really is and who has all the power and authority in this game. Uh, If you look over in chapter 7, God says to Moses, you and Aaron go and talk to Pharaoh, but though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he won't listen to you. Then I'll lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment. So notice, it starts with signs and wonders. First of all, that's first and foremost, they're signs and wonders because they're opportunities for people to repent. God is giving the Egyptians a chance here they're, they're to see who is the true God and, and turn to him. And, you know, growing up, I, I couldn't feel, help but feel kind of bad for the average Egyptian citizen, you know, because they had to suffer so much for the, because of the stubbornness of Pharaoh. But as the more you study these out and actually look at what the text says, the plagues are not just acts of judgment or punishment, although they eventually do get to that. They are acts of revelation, revelation of who God is. And in the beginning, these plagues are opportunities for the Egyptians to turn, to repent, to know who the one true God is. Because you know what's the truth that I truly believe in the bottom of my heart from looking at scripture here? I believe that God loves the Egyptians. I, believe he lo- I think he loves the Egyptians and he loves the Hebrews. It might seem surprising to f- some folks, but the plagues of Egypt uh, are an important part, not only of the redemptive story of Israel, but also of the story of Egypt to redeem their story. He wants to deliver the Hebrews out of the bondage of slavery, but he also wants to deliver the Egyptians from the bondage of false idols. Right. He's trying to show them who he really is. And what's so cool is that some Egyptians do recognize this. When you go to the end of the story here, many of the Egyptians actually leave with the Hebrews when, they get, when they're finally freed. And they become part of that, those people uh, who worship God. I, th- I think it's really interesting to me that today, did you know there's between 10 and 15, they estimate 10 and 15 million Christians in the country of Egypt. 10 to 15 million Christians in Egypt. And do you know how many followers there are of the ancient Egyptian gods? None, right? So, so no, no, one, no one still follows the great god Ra, but there's 10 to 15 million Christians there. And so God wants to give Egypt in this story and the Pharaoh a chance to know him. But God also knew, he knows the future, and he knows that Pharaoh's heart is hard. And so it's going to continue to be hard. Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. And God uses these, uh, these signs, these plagues, as signs of judgment on him. And so we're going to look at these plagues one by one here today. And, uh, and then, uh, like I said, next week we'll get into the 10th one. But here we go. What, what, what do we start with? All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 7. And in verse 14 is our first amazing sign and wonder, and it is the turning of the river Nile into blood. Just let's get out a collective, ew. ew. It's just a river <laughs> into blood. Now, the Nile River, 
It's a, a very important river. It is, in fact, arguably to this day, the longest river in the world. How big is it? Well, the United States, coast to coast, is about 2,600 miles wide. The Nile is over 4,000 miles long, the longest river in the world. And so God isn't just turning any river to blood. He's turning the source of their life and livelihood into blood. And uh, now, the Egyptians, they not only love the Nile, they worship the Nile. Because remember, in Egypt, it's a polytheistic society. Polytheistic means many gods. They worshipped many gods, and they had a god for everything. Everything in nature was a god. There was a god of the sky, a god of the river. There was a god of the Nile. There was a god of the cows. There was a god of birth. There was a god for everything. And these, of course, are real gods or made-up gods. There you go. Good job, kids. Made up. These are false gods, but they serve them. And so in that scripture we just read where God brings his mighty acts of judgment, I think God is showing judgment on the gods of Egypt because every single sign and wonder is an attack against one of the Egyptian gods that the Egyptians serve and revere. And so God, the true God, Yahweh, wants to show the Egyptians and the Hebrews, I am the Lord. I am one, and I am the only God with the only power and the only one that is to be worshipped and served. So God turns the river into blood. The Egyptians immediately go to their river god, Hopi, and they pray to Hopi, Hopi, turn, fix our water. Can Hopi do it? Hopi no. doesn't seem very happy. Yeah. Sorry. So no, only Yahweh. Only Yahweh is the one who can change this. Now, this is the first of the signs and wonders. How, what, why do you think God chose to strike the Nile and turn it into blood? If you remember back to the beginning of Exodus, Pharaoh does something pretty sinister that has to do with the Nile. He took all the Hebrew baby boys, and what did he do? He put them in the Nile. So Pharaoh caused a lot of bloodshed. So God is saying, Pharaoh... I see the blood that you've spilt, wow. and here's the evidence of it. You bloodied the Nile, and now everyone can see it. Yeah. So God is definitely sending a message. I think so. Well, he sends a message, but Pharaoh doesn't get the point. And so there's a second uh, plague that happens next. It is the invasion of the frogs here. Frogs. Look at all those wonderful little frogs. Um, now, from a logical perspective, when you think about it, this makes a lot of sense. Where, where do the frogs, you know, that start off as little tadpoles, where are they kind of usually probably living around? The, the Nile, which is now turned to blood. The frogs don't want to be there anymore, so they've invaded the land. So from a, from a logical perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but still, what is God doing here? God is still showing his power over the, the gods of Egypt. And in this case, there was a goddess of Egypt, the, the goddess uh, Heket. She had the head of a frog. And she was the goddess of birth. And so the Egyptians would have been, you know, all these frogs, they would have been praying to Heket. Heket, please get rid of, you know, your frogs. And we, we love you and all, but get rid of the frogs. Uh, and was Heket listening? Did she answer their prayer? No, no, didn't work. Uh, this is another instance where Pharaoh, Pharaoh throws up his hands and says, oh, okay, okay, uh, go ahead and let him, let him go. You guys can go. Then as soon as Moses prays for the frogs to leave, they leave and... He changes his mind. Mm. So. All right. Third plague. 
swarm of gnats. Can you imagine how annoying this would be? Have you ever had bananas overripe in your kitchen and walked in one day and there's like an army of gnats flying around? No. Oh, oh, no. No, it's, it's completely frustrating. It's not a dangerous plague, but probably the most annoying of them all, I think, would be the, the gnats. Um, now, imagine that annoyance in your kitchen times a cabillion because there's gnats everywhere. You breathe, they go up your nostrils. You open your mouth, they're going down your throat. It is terrible. What's interesting in this third sign from the Lord is that um, you remember the Pharaoh has two magicians. They were the ones that were able to turn their staffs into snakes, like Moses turned his staff into the snake with the power of God. But remember, Moses' snake ate theirs. So they're able to duplicate the miracles uh, of God up until this point. They can't do it. Not only that, they, they can't duplicate this, and they can't reverse any of them. So they end up going to Pharaoh and saying, you know what? His gods are more powerful than our gods. We can't keep up with the strength of this God of Moses. And maybe it wouldn't be such a bad idea to maybe start listening to what he says because I think he's going to, I think he's going to do what he says. Okay. All right. Pharaoh still doesn't get the, uh, the message. So number four, the fourth plague that comes on Egypt is swarms of insects. Now this is a little bit different from the other one. This word for swarms in the ancient language, it means mixture. It's a mixture. So it could, it, they, the scholars believe it's lots of different kinds of insects. It could have been things like um, uh, wasps and flies and even spiders because they said it was everywhere. It's in your clothes. It's in your bed. You couldn't walk Mosquitoes. without it being everywhere. So now these are everywhere. things that bite, things that sting, things that hurt. That's right. And God also introduces a new element in this one. In this plague. Up till now, everyone in Egypt, including the Hebrews, are experiencing the plagues the same. In the fourth one now, only the Egyptians experience the plague. There is a clear line that the Hebrews remain untouched by this plague. So there's a real miracle happening here. Uh, by the way, God's still demonstrating his power over these gods of Egypt. One of their gods, uh, there was a couple gods that were represented by the fly, but one of them was Uwachit. Uh, and none of the Egyptian prayers to Uachit were apparently working. Uh, so again, Pharaoh flip-flops here. He says, okay, you can go. But in the end, he says, no, you got to stay. All right. You ready for plague number five? It's a smelly one. It's the death of the livestock. Now, livestock is anything you find on the land, on the farm, on the ranch. It's the sheep. It's the cows. It's the things that you get the milk from and the meat from. So what happens when they become diseased and die? You don't have meat and you don't have milk. And not only the livestock there, but the horses and the camels, all of the animals that did the heavy labor or that were transportation were diseased and died. And so this is a, this is a real... A hard thing for the Egyptian lifestyle. And the Egyptians had tons of gods for their animals, and they were praying to all of them. One of the main ones was Hathor. And Hathor was a, a false god that was represented by a cow. And uh, here's what I find fascinating that God is doing. He is knocking down the false gods of the Egyptians one by one. Oh, your cow god? Cows are dead. And your God's not going to bring him back. Because again, Yahweh is showing he is supreme and he is the only God. Pharaoh still doesn't get the message. And uh, these plagues, if you noticed, uh, they kind of get progressively worse and worse. This next one is going to be really painful. It's the 
plague of the skin sores, these sores. Uh, And here for the first time, it mentions that God steps in to begin hardening Pharaoh's heart. We talked about this over the last couple weeks, how in the beginning, Pharaoh's heart is hard all by itself. But here is a point. It's kind of a point of no return for Pharaoh. God is stepping in to, to solidify those decisions that Pharaoh has made. And, uh, and, of course, here, again, God's demonstrating his power over the Egyptian gods. Sekhmet was the, the goddess of healing in Egypt. She had the power to inflict uh, all kinds of epidemics and bring them to an end. So they would be going to Sekhmet for, for help here, desperately asking her to make the boils go away. Again, another clear line between the Egyptians and the Hebrews, because the Hebrews were the only ones uh, who were not touched by any of these these sores. Now, and and two, and just for extra fun, these boils that they had, what the scholars tell us, these would have been like these pus-filled, really yucky sores that are like really oozing and painful, right? Welcome to church. Ew, right? Uh, so, in fact, if you were going through this as an ancient Egyptian, if you were going through this, about the only relief you could get would be to run outside and try to, you know, let the sun dry you off in the air. And, you, of course, you wouldn't want to be touched. You wouldn't want anything to touch you, and you wouldn't want to be touching anything else. Uh, but guess what the next plague is? Yeah. So all the relief they knew outside was gone because now they're forced indoors by the plague of hailstorms. This is thunder, lightning, and great big icy hard balls of hail falling down and destroying everything in its path. And so what's interesting is uh, the Egyptians are starting to like learn stuff because when Moses says a hailstorm is coming, they start like quietly bringing all their belongings inside and making sure nothing's outside because they go, oh, we believe this guy and we believe his God. Um, So uh, after this, we later learn that Egyptians not only start paying attention, they start to believe. They start to believe the God of Moses. And some of them even join the Exodus and leave with the children of Israel um, out of the city. So Most Egyptians, though, would be looking to their god, uh, their goddess of the sky, Newt, and praying to Newt, but can Newt stop the hailstorm? No. Why? Because an imaginary god can't do much. And, you know, sometimes you feel like a Newt, and sometimes... You know, if you don't laugh, you won't encourage him. All right, here we go. The, the eighth plague, the eighth plague, here we come, is the invasion of the locusts. Now, locusts aren't just flying creatures that annoy you. Locusts devour everything. The plagues, there's plagues, uh, these, these swarms that come through different countries today. And when they come through, they just devour all the crops. And so this would have just cleared away all of the vegetation. So, uh, and that's all they had at this point, because remember, right? the livestock's dead. There so what do go. they have? Crops. What do the locusts do? Right. Yeah. So there's no meat or vegetables. Um, and, and here Yahweh, again, he's asserting his authority over. Now he's going really after some of the big daddies of the Egyptian gods. Uh, the god Osiris was god of crops and fertility. Uh, god Nepri uh, was the god of grain. Seth was another god of the crops. All of these gods aren't doing the Egyptians any good. 
So there's not too much left. And so plague number nine, the final plague we will discuss today, uh, found in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21, is the plague of darkness. Now, how many of you don't enjoy being in the dark? Yeah, a lot of you don't enjoy being in the dark. How many of you have a nightlight in your room or upstairs? Nightlight, leave a lamp on, leave a, yes. Well, this darkness is described as so thick and heavy and dark. It's described almost like its own presence. It was a darkness they could feel. So much so that even when they tried to light a lamp, it didn't light up anything around them. They couldn't see their hands in front of their faces. It was a heavy presence of a darkness. Um, And it was very terrifying. But amazingly enough, in the land of Goshen, there was... Light. This didn't affect the Hebrew children. But now what is so amazing and poignant of God at this moment is he is going up against the Egyptian God that is one of their most fierce. And it's probably one that some of you have heard of, the God of the Ra. He's the sun God. He was worshipped and revered. And God is saying, you know what? Ra, your false God, has no power I, Yahweh, made the moon, and I made the sun, and I made the stars, and by my mouth they give light, and by my word they go away. And so I'm in control. Ra's not in control. And so no matter how fiercely and fervently they worshipped and prayed to Ra, they were left in total darkness. And God is showing everyone there is no God but me. That's right. That's right. I'm going to get this... All right, so that's a plague refresher, and now it's time for a little game. Um, we're going to do a little game, and we need some volunteers, and we thought, who better than some of our awesome missionaries just back from Guatemala? So can I have the uh, members of the Guatemala team who were asked to come up here to come up on the stage, please? Everybody give them a big hand. Woo! All right, here they come. Stand right here. All right. You Welcome to, home. To squeeze together. It's a little bit too much. Good to see you. All right, guys. just stand behind the table so everybody try to fit. So squeeze tight right behind this table. Okay. All right. So we have our first ever missionary dun, 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 dun. food challenge, Plagues Edition. Sounds yummy. Yes. So uh now now guys, we're so happy you're back. We want to hear your your favorite experience. That occurred in Guatemala, but in order to earn it, you have to. Uh, you got to prove your your prove to your be a worth. Real missionary here. All right. So, uh, in honor of the plagues, we have. Uh, first of all, do you know um, bugs are an internationally accepted food? They are around the world. Very nutritious. Um, so I just want to say, all of these are internationally sourced and edible. I'll stop at the word edible. Uh, Right now we have what appears to be dehydrated fly larvae. We have black gnat cakes. We got these from a reputable market, I promise. (laughs) Frog legs on a stick and battered grasshoppers. And each of these correspond with one of our plagues. 
Phoebe, you're the littlest, so I'm gonna let you pick which one you wanna do. Get first shot. <laughs> All right, Phoebe, come over here. She's going for come it. down here. I don't care what I All right, I'm everyone so else. Paxton, I'm giving you flies. Nathan, I'm giving you frog legs. Paxton, you suck those, don't bite. Uh, ladies, why don't you do the nap cakes? All right. Um, and uh, um, okay. on the count of three, let's see if they can do it. Everyone, you're earning your keep here. You're proving your missionary status. One, two, three. I need you to take a bite to earn your ability to Look out. They're taking it down. Is it chewy? It's a little chewy, Nathan? It's, like it's not bad. Pungent flavor. It's not bad. Girls, how is it? Everyone give yeah. them a hand clap. They Woo! have proven their work. All right. You know what? That, that, these guys have the chops then to be true missionaries. Yes. Because as you know, when you're on the mission field, you are oftentimes served interesting things, and it's polite to eat whatever served you. All right. So, way to go, guys. Good job. Every, tell everyone your name. Phoebe. And what was your favorite thing that happened in Guatemala? <laughs> Glitter Wars. Glitter Wars. I still have glitter in my hair. Yes. Was this something you played with the kids or other? Yeah. <laughs> and the other adults. All right. Okay. Everyone give Phoebe a hand clap. Uh, Phoebe, you may have a seat. Good job, Phoebe. Uh, you'll be happy to know, Phoebe, this was just snow peas. Just snow peas. Snow peas. Uh, uh, I'm mean, but I'm not that mean. She showed right. incredible courage. Uh, tell everyone your name and your favorite part of the mission trip. My name is Carrie Ann. And we got to ride up and down the mountains in the back of a truck, standing up for a few hours. And even though it was a few hours, it was still really fun. Uh, All right, everybody, give Carrie Ann a hand. Go, tell everyone your. I'm Christy. And what was your favorite part of the Guatemala experience? Well, this is kind of a mom thing, but I totally enjoyed seeing all these kids doing their thing. They gave 110%, never complained once, kept going, woke up the next morning early, attacked, they tackled, they conquered. They were awesome. That's awesome. They did. Now, ladies, this looked like black gnats, but it's actually just black rice cakes. So, so you did, you did great. Good. You did nice. good. All right. But the point is you ate it. Way to go. Y'all are hardcore. All right, everyone, your name and your favorite part of Guatemala. My name is Nathan, and I have to say, probably one of my favorite parts of the trip was actually getting to sing and play music with everyone. They had a guitar down there at the center, and so Paxton and I took turns playing and singing for everyone, and even in the back of the trucks and on the bus and everything, we got to sing for one another, so it was a lot of fun. That's precious. Nathan, and good job eating this. Yours is actually pretty close to what it actually is, but uh, it's a barbecued dried fish. So, uh, good job. Way to good go. job. I think I'd rather eat frog legs. Um, <laughs> Tell everybody your name and your favorite part of the Guatemala experience. Uh, my name is Paxton Cole, and one of my favorite parts is that while we were in the back of the truck, we were given a big bag of candy, and you got to yell dulces, and then just chunk them at all the children when you passed by. Sometimes he had a kid, sometimes he didn't. They still got the candy, though. Uh, that is wonderful. You thank you, Paxton. Thank you. And yours really was fly larvae, so thank you for participating. <laughs> Very good. Dried plums. Dried plums, everybody. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I wonder if we have, we have some time. John or Jeannie, would you guys like to just come up and give a, a, a quick thought with you? Either one or both, or both of you, come up. You're a team. All right. 
These are our fearless leaders that took these, this group to Guatemala. Just whatever's on your heart. Any impression you got? Whatever. Oh, well, whatever, it was an amazing trip. Um, you know, we we had gone a couple years ago and had a had a really good time at the at the orphanage helping with the kids. Uh, but this trip, you know, when we went to Larry and Mar Larry and Marla's ministry, we got to go to the feeding centers, and we a majority of our time was spent with these children that you know were coming for one of their few meals that they get during the week, mm. and uh, just the the smiles they had on their faces, you know, for for us to think about the houses they live in and and the things that they had to eat. Um, we would probably be kind of miserable. Mm. But these kids were just so happy and uh, just so excited that we were there playing with them with balloons and things like that. And it was just, it was just incredible to see the hope on their faces uh, that are provided through Larry and Marla's ministry mm -hmm. and everybody here that helps support them. So thank you guys. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. So I think my favorite part of the whole trip was on Tuesday afternoon. Um, John and I like to go out and um, talk to people, just random people about Jesus, pray for them. And I got to be honest with you, I was kind of freaked out because I sound very redneck when I try to speak Spanish, not get at it at all. And apparently I don't know my words very good. Sorry. Um, Anyway, so Tuesday afternoon, we got to go out into a village and hand out rice and beans. And here's what I learned. I learned it doesn't matter whether you can speak their language or not. You can see when they come to Christ. You don't even need to talk. You just see his presence just come over them. And I want you to know we had, let's see, 21 all together uh, between the children, it was 41 all together oh, between the children at the homes, the missions, and uh, the villages. We had several people come to Christ when we were out handing out the rice and beans. Wow. And we had one more come to Christ in the marketplace. Um, was it Thursday night in Antigua? He was just sitting there and. Uh, we got um, Marla to come over and talk to him, and he gave his heart to Christ. So God showed me it doesn't matter what I sound like when I speak it, that the love that you give people is way more than any language that you can say. So I am excited. We're going back next year. So let's do it, right? right? Let's do it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks, uh, All right. We're proud of our teens. Well, we want to finish today uh, with a challenge that we want to give you guys. Now, if, if you notice throughout this story, there's one pattern that keeps happening over and over and over. You can see it in the scripture here. Pharaoh, starting with the second plague of the frogs, Pharaoh keeps repeating this, this same thing over and over. It says here that Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron in chapter 8. Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Yeah, right. 
right? I don't know if Pharaoh actually believed this or if he was just trying to be crafty or something, but he realizes genuinely, I think, that his magicians can't take these things away. All they could do with the first two was duplicate uh, which I don't, I don't think he, that probably impressed him very much. Can you imagine, like, you, the Nile's just been turned to blood, and then your magician comes along and says, well, look, we can turn some more water into blood. Pharaoh's like, great, thank you, not helpful. But he realized that he needed God, he needed Moses' God to, to get rid of these things. And I like in this scripture how Moses says, sure thing, you just tell me when and where, Uh, and I'll pray for God to remove the frogs. And Pharaoh has the most fascinating response to me ever. He goes, "Mm, tomorrow. (laughs) Tomorrow. I mean, who says that? Tomorrow. They're inundated with frogs. I mean, how much does Pharaoh, how much pride does he have to have that he's not even willing to really let on how desperate they really are to get rid of these frogs. Yeah, tomorrow morning, evening, doesn't matter. These frogs that are jumping on my head, they don't bother me so much, you know. Um, but Moses says, okay, all right, all right, we'll do it. So that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And then they go away, but you jump down to verse 15, what happens? When Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said, just like the Lord said he was going to react this way. And this happens over and over and over again. Here's the truth, I think, here. Egypt, there's a lot of things going on in this story. Egypt suffers from a plague, all right, and it is the plague of the pride of Pharaoh. That is what plagues Egypt here, the pride of Pharaoh. But this reminds me of something else, too, that this pattern that Pharaoh seems to do over and over and over, it is not only in him, I think it is in most of humanity. It's in all of us. We tend to call out to God during these times of desperation. And, and we, we, when, when the pressure is finally lifted, what happens? We kind of get distracted by our own busyness, don't we? Things are good now. I'm okay, God. Don't really need you anymore. And we act like we don't need God. And, and so I don't want to just spend this story pointing the finger at Pharaoh and saying, what a dummy he is, right? Because I think I do this too. And I think we all do this. We're all guilty of this. Have you ever maybe sensed or felt the Holy Spirit leading you a certain way, but you chose to ignore it? Hmm. Or you felt or sensed the Holy Spirit of the Lord gently saying, no, 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 not that. Don't do that. Don't look at that. Don't go there. No, no, not right now. But you resisted and did that thing anyway. That's hardening our heart against the the Holy Spirit of God, who is there to teach us and comfort us and help us. But yet we kind of just turn down the frequency and then turn up whatever the world is telling us or promising us or whatever another person, whatever the distraction is. And so God is reminding us, you know what, what pride's going to do is pride's going to say, you know better. Pride says, you know what, you know what, God, you got a lot going on, but I'm seeing everything really closely, and I know better, so I'm going to be in control of this situation. And pride withholds worship. Pride withholds worship and keeps it for itself. And let me tell you, it's a terrible thing, because where pride will lead you is to destruction. 
And then it seems like when we're finally in those episodes of struggle and destruction, we go, wait a minute, maybe I didn't know everything, and maybe you are great, and I take it all back, and, and, and I'm sorry, and have your way, and God is good, and he's faithful, and you're his child, and of course, he's going to be there when you fall, because his love is endless, and his mercies are new every morning. But then don't make the mistake that Pharaoh did, and as soon as everything's fine again, go, you, you know what? I got this. I'll, I'll be in control. I can handle it and do it. Because pride is a liar, and it will lead you down a dark, dark path. Don't be Pharaoh. Don't be Pharaoh. <laughs> don't be Pharaoh. That's right. Don't, don't pretend you're in control when you're not. Right. Right? That's denial. And denial is not just a river. Never mind. <laughs> Dad humor. Yes, God is good, right? Yes, God's good. He wants to be there for you when you fall down, but he also wants to be there for you when you're, when you're up. He, wants, he doesn't want you to forget your need for him when he picks you back up. So may, may God heal us from this, this plague of pride. And here's something else. What if we didn't wait for everything to be crashing down around us before we went to God for help? before we turn to him in our daily lives, right? What if we sought him each and every day? What if even when things are going good, you sought him as if everything were falling down around you? I mean, imagine it. We might say it this way. Don't wait for a need to let God take the lead. Don't wait for a need to let God take the lead. It's going to happen. Here we go. What if, and, and then what, what would happen if all of us as a church did this? What, if, what, would, what would it look like if the entire church here, were, were, we, we, were, we as people retrained our brains to seek after God, no matter what's going on in our life, to seek after his goodness, to, to ask him for his next steps, to seek even his discipline. That's not a fun word, right? But to seek him and to seek his leading, both in our times of trouble and in our times of, of blessing. Because we don't want to just be people who go to God when we're to, to be rescued. Yes, he will rescue you. But we're not just people who go to God to be rescued. But we, are, we want to be looking for opportunities to be his agents of rescue for other people. Because that's what God really desires for us to, to do. To be his rescuers for other people. And, you know, Moses, look at him. He was used by God to be a rescuer, and it wasn't because of any really special set of skills he had. He didn't. Even Moses said, I'm not, I'm not qualified to do this, God, right? But God used him. Why did God use Moses? Because Moses was willing to, to be used as God's mouthpiece. He was willing to allow God to disrupt his nice, cozy little life he had going on in Midian. He was willing to walk into the unknown and trust that God would show up day after day, step after step, and God was going to show up. And God can use that. He shows up. God always shows up. Amen? He literally always shows up. Now, some people can look at this story of Moses, and they can look at the plagues, and they could go, Man, religion is so weird. This is, I don't want to serve a God who, who brought locusts and gnats and turned water to blood. This is creepy and this is just weird religion. Here's what they don't understand. Every plague is God destroying religion. 
Every time he sends a sign and a wonder, he is teaching the people that your religion is false. And what does God want? What has God always wanted from the garden? Does he want you to join a new religion? No. Remember back in the garden, what did God do? He created Adam and Eve in his image, and he walked with them. And he talked with them. And he gave them everything and said, you have authority. All this is yours. And what did they do? They disobeyed. They went against the one thing. He gave them four billion things they could do and one thing to withhold. Because what was it? It was how they showed him worship in the garden. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's my tree. That's my worship. That's how you worship me. Because you don't have to, you don't have to give me anything else. Just give me this. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And so after that, relationship was broken. And God had to teach us through thousands of years, through covenants, through, through the promise, through Noah, through the Mosaic laws that were about to happen. Do you know what God's showing us? He's not showing us the way it has to be. He's showing us it can't be any other way but Jesus. Amen. Nothing but Jesus. He's about to give these people a list of laws they will never be able to follow. But if you look closely, they asked him for those laws. They thought they could do it on their own, and they couldn't do it. Because our God is not a God of religion. Our God comes to destroy religion. Our God is a God of relationship. And our God is a God of love. And he intimately knows you, and he intimately has a purpose and a plan for you. He intimately loves you. And he wants to talk to you every single day. And he wants you to listen to him as he talks back every single day. God doesn't just show up all the time because he shows up. He shows up because he's always around. And in those moments, we recognize it. We recognize, oh, God's here. Because what? He's always here. And he's always with you. He always loves you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And here's what the Lord wants us to know. Here's why he had to set the, ch the Hebrew children free. Because free people set other people free. Do you want to set people free? You have to be free. You can't be a slave and set someone else free. And so God comes to set us free so that you and I can help set other people free with the liberation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's right. We just have to surrender. We have to surrender to him. So surrender in the good times, surrender in times of trouble, and surrender in times of blessing so that God can use you to be a blessing for other people. Amen. 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 Can we all bow our heads today? And we're just going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come together. We are your body on this earth. Thank you for making each one of us unique. Thank you for the gifts and purposes you've placed in each and every person here. Whether they know it or not, you have a divine destiny. You have divine love. You have a divine purpose you've placed in them. Lord, thank you for today for teaching us about who you are. You're a God who showed his power to the Hebrew children, to the Egyptians, and you showed it so they would recognize that you are the one true God. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. And Lord, we choose to surrender to you only. 
not the things of earth, not ourselves, but Lord, to you. Because you are the creator, you are the redeemer, you are our savior. And we give you our allegiance today and we choose to surrender, to heed the leading of your Holy Spirit, to obey you because we're a people that have been set free by your grace to lead others into your freedom and your purpose and your kingdom. So I thank you right now for every man, woman, and child in this place. I thank you as they go about their week, you would fill them, Lord, with your heart for others. You would fill them with what it looks like to have a real relationship with you. You would fill them with wisdom and joy and grace and mercy, and that they would be a conduit of your goodness to every person they come across this week. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we've got prayer partners up here for if there's anything going on in your life that you would like prayer about before you leave, make sure you come up and let these folks pray for you. And uh, hey, our kids did so good today. Let's give our kids a big hand. Y'all were awesome. Y'all were awesome. I pray you have the best week you've ever had. And uh, we are so excited and we will we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.